Hi, and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today, I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Diane Paulsell and Chloe Green. Diane is an applied social scientist with more than 20 years of experience designing, conducting, and overseeing mixed methods policy-focused research, including national multi-site studies. Her areas of expertise range from early care and education to parenting and family engagement to youth development to family support and includes nutrition. Chloe is a historian and urban planner with over 10 years of experience in qualitative research and analysis with a particular focus on racial equity and underserved populations. Her areas of expertise include housing and homelessness, equitable development, and community-based participatory research in culturally responsive urban planning and communities of color. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. In the United States, more people are beginning to acknowledge that there are huge racial inequities within our society and that those inequities are the results of systemic racism. I know our colleagues are thinking about these issues because they're often mentioned on this podcast, and they're looking at how they affect the work we do. So if we can identify and acknowledge there's a problem, how do we implement solutions? And Diane, I'm going to turn to you first. You're relatively new to app, but you've got a very big purview, so you've got a good overview of the challenges we're facing and the work we're doing. Well, I think, you know, there's just increasing recognition that different kinds of policies, whether they're state, federal, local policies, and different kinds of programs affect different people differently. And we need to understand that to make sure that everyone has equitable access um, to what they need. So, for example, let's take early childhood education. We know there are disparities in school readiness when children arrive to kindergarten. So what can we do to address those disparities? One thing we need to look at is early care and education policies. For example, what role do childcare subsidies play in helping different kinds of families access the high quality early care and education their children need uh, to develop school readiness skills? When we're looking at these issues, we see how, we see they exist, right? and we've identified them through research. How do we address them, you know, programmatically? How do we actually make an impact? And, you know, I mentioned earlier that these are things uh, we've seen how they affect the work we do. But Chloe, I know you're actually addressing these issues on the ground. You want to talk about what you're working on? Sure. So I would say in the, the homeless technical assistance space, there is also, as Diane was saying, an acknowledgement of the fact that In homelessness, Black people, Indigenous people, and other people of color are disproportionately impacted by homelessness. When you look at Black people in particular, they're 13% of the population, but um, are over 40% of the population of people experiencing homelessness. And oftentimes people say, okay, well, you know, when you take poverty into account, maybe that explains the disparity. But Also, when you're looking at poverty rates as well, that does not explain the disproportionate impact. So then you have to start to look at our our policies around homelessness and also our programs and and really start to dig into why we are seeing this disproportionate impact. And I would say that previously in the homeless space, sometimes some of our programs have been designed to address these things as if homelessness is an individual issue rather than recognizing that homelessness is the result of systemic inequities. And so we have to center addressing those inequities in our response. 
And so as, as homeless TA providers, um, we are working with communities to look at the disproportionate impact and understand what is it that is making um, these populations more vulnerable within your local context of your community, and how can you address that? And as Diane was saying, you know, you want to ensure that everyone is being served, everyone's needs are being met. Um, so how do you use like a, a targeted universalism approach in a sense to where the intended outcome is that everyone has a home, right? I think I hope that most of us <laughs> in America want to see everyone housed, um, but recognizing that what is required for a Black person to be housed or someone who has had just in, justice involvement to be housed is going to look very different um, for a family of four or what have you. Everyone is going to have different things that'll get them to a place to where they can be housed. So taking a targeted approach based on those populations to ensure that we're meeting their needs and we're getting people into homes. Chloe, um, I, you just raised something that's really important, which is targeted universalism. And I think that is a great strategy to work on increasing equity. And what that means is that even though a program is universal, in other words, everyone can have access to it, we know that there are barriers that prevent some people from having access to that, and those barriers are greater for um, communities of color at times. For example, let's take um, preschool, universal preschool. Maybe some families um, can't access it even though everyone is eligible because of transportation issues. Um, maybe in some cities, this is going to be rolled out in stages, and so to be targeted within a universal program, we might roll it out in communities where we know there are high disparities in kindergarten readiness first. Or if we can only provide full day pre-K in some schools, maybe we target those schools for the full day pre-K. And by doing that, we're trying to increase equity. So it is universal, but within the universal offering, we target extra resources towards the families that need those resources to address inequity. Chloe, you mentioned poverty. Diane, you're talking about early education. We're talking about sort of a whole life cycle of inequities just between those two poles, right? Um, what is there more we can be doing to connect those dots and then address them holistically? I would say that to... Targeted universalism is definitely an approach that we should be taking <laughs> to address these issues. But I think um, there are other steps to ensure that we're getting to a place where we're seeing equitable outcomes. And I think a, a big part of that is first acknowledging historical context uh, is really critical to any equity work that you do, because uh, history really speaks to why we are experiencing present inequities. So it should not be shocking when we look back on that history, when we look back on housing history and look at the discriminatory practices um, in terms of home ownership and contract leasing and redlining and all of these things that we instituted in communities that are rooted in, in racist and discriminatory policies um, got us to this place. And so it's important to honor that and recognize that, one, because it, it helps us to understand the 
really the gravity of what we're, we're grappling with when we're handling these issues. But it also, again, reminds us like these are systemic problems. We cannot address them by sort of looking at an individual and saying, OK, well, what how did you get here? <laughs> like, what did you do um, that brought you to this place? It's really what is going on in our community? What is the local context, historical context that brought us to this place? And how do we undo those things so we don't see this happening again in the future? And I think just between wealth and income, right? Um, and, and that historical context, and then how does that play out in terms of where the opportunity is moving forward? Um, so I want to ask, Chloe, I think the work you're doing is pretty impactful in the short term, right? I mean, it's technical assistance, you're enacting approaches. How, how is that working out? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult, but it's necessary work. I think a really critical piece of that work is involving people with lived experience in addressing homelessness. And that has been something that um, has been a part of the homeless technical assistance work for some time. But I think there is heightened attention around the need for that, particularly um, with the pandemic, communities looking at like, okay, we are seeing, again, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic as well. So how do we get people housed during this precarious time and ensure that the programs and the policies really are meeting the needs of the people who are most impacted? It's very difficult to do that without speaking to and hearing from the people who are living it every day and recognizing that they have the tools and they have the knowledge base to help us come up with programs and policies that are going to move us forward towards equity. Um, anyone who knows me knows that Ella Baker, I think she's the most amazing person ever. And she always used to say that strong people don't need strong leaders. Strong people need tools. They need resources. They need skills and people supporting them in building their skills so that they can do the work of fixing things, their own problems. Like they, they have the ability to do that. So let's support people in doing that. And so a lot of the work in working with people with lived experience is supporting them in solving the problems that we already know they have the capacity to solve and seeing them as true partners and experts in the work. So making sure that they have a seat at the table when decisions are being made, that they're really being listened to, and that it isn't just like, oh, you're just a body here. We're sort of trying to fill a requirement, but it's like, no, I'm actually taking everything that you're saying into account. We're weaving that into how we're addressing things, um, and that informs our work moving forward. I can provide an example in Oakland uh, Oakland recently went through a system modeling process, and part of that was an equity analysis, and they did focus groups with people experiencing homelessness. And through those focus groups, they found that people were telling them, like, look, the homeless system is playing an active role in displacing us from our neighborhoods and from our homes. Mm -hmm. And hearing them say that uh, the people who did the analysis came back to us and said, like, I have been doing homeless assistance work for decades. And the things that I learned in the hour long meeting that I had with people experiencing it from day to day, like, is more than I have learned in the decades that I've been doing this work. 
and recognizing like, okay, you hear from someone like you are playing a part in displacing me. That's a difficult thing to receive, but it's necessary that we receive that. And then you ask yourself a question of like, okay, well, what, what are we doing? that is leading to you being displaced from your home. How do we correct that? And they were looking at how they were addressing these things. And oftentimes people who were living in Oakland prior to experiencing homelessness, because of the high costs there, the homeless providers were like, okay, well, there is housing, but it's in the next county over. Um, And so oftentimes people were being moved to those counties just because that's where the housing was. But after having that conversation, they were like, okay, we really need to look at how do we ensure that there are affordable housing options in Oakland so that people can stay in their homes, people can stay in the neighborhoods that they've known their entire lives. Um, that's a part of the work. That's an important piece of the work. And, and that's that's equity work. You know, Chloe raised the, the, the issue of lived experience and the importance of hear, hearing from people who are affected by inequitable policies. And I think that's um, really essential for kind of identifying those systemic issues, right, and lifting them up so that we, we kind of understand what the root of the problem is. Um, before I came to APT, I did some work with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is focusing on health equity. And um, we used something called the equitable evaluation principles in our work, and that's a central part of the equitable evaluation principles is giving participants and evaluation ownership and giving them a voice in the research. And, um, you know, some other ways to do that are having advisory groups of participants doing something called member checking, where you actually go back to your sample and say, these are the findings that we have drawn out of what you've told us. Does this sound right to you? Um, Using um, participants as data collectors. Um, There are all kinds of ways that you can bring in participant voice. And I think it's it's really essential um, to the work to, to raise up those those systemic issues that sometimes um, we don't see because it's it's been policy for a long time and we don't see how the policy doesn't affect everyone the same way. Well, I was just going to ask how you know how do you see applying you know Chloe's approach in other areas and and you just answered that question for me. But I think you're also indicating how the research and analysis feeds into the technical assistance, right? Like it's, it's expanding that data source so we can then address these issues. Another one of those principles is about doing research and evaluation that is in service to building equity, right? So, you know, we know that there are lots of disparities. We don't need to spend more time counting those up and looking at percentage differences between different populations. What we need to focus on is trying to understand what are the drivers of those disparities and then what strategies we can we can use to improve to increase equity right to move equity forward and that's what we really need to learn more about is identify promising strategies and then um, test them and see if they improve equity if they increase equity you know our our child care system right now is is going through a big struggle with COVID. We've lost a lot of our childcare capacity in this country. What if when we build it back, we were to center on people of color and we were to say, well, what would meet 
what kind of childcare would best meet the needs of this population. Um, for example, parents who might work a changing shift schedule or they might work a second or a third shift. And we built a system around meeting the needs of the families experiencing the greatest inequities. I think we would see a really different kind of system and we would see, you know, quality dollars flowing towards different kinds of childcare providers and arrangements than they than they do today. And I hope that I hope that that happens as we move to the other side of COVID. But that's just an example of how we can use research and evaluation in service to increasing equity, right? And in in every area of human services across all the social determinants of health, um, when we're when we're looking at policies and innovative programs, we need to ask the question: Does this increase equity? Well, you know, and it's. Interesting because we're at this moment, of which hopefully is an inflection point, where we're seeing, and again, talking about social terms of health, we're seeing how actual health, the disparities are really brought out as we look at the effects of COVID. And in the meantime, we're seeing in our justice system issues that are really drawing attention to disparities. So, you know, it, it, it seems like it's a real opportunity for us to take this mindset and take these approaches and apply and, and they're applicable across the social terms of health. So hopefully this is our moment. And we have to look at the systemic issues. I would like to just read the Robert Wood Johnson's definition of health equity because I think it is it really illuminates what we're talking about. So they say that health equity means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be healthier. This requires removing obstacles to health, such as poverty, discrimination, and their consequences, including powerlessness and lack of access to good jobs with fair pay, quality education and housing, safe environments, and health care. So that's a pretty big job. Um, Right, trying to move all of that forward, but I think in any of these areas where we where we work, you know, we can almost start anywhere. Um, as we provide technical assistance and do research, we can be thinking: Is this in service to equity? What am I learning about that, and how can I share that with other people, with other organizations, with other public agencies and jurisdictions? And I want to reiterate, Diane, you were saying that, you know, at this point, we're at a place, particularly with research and also, I think, technical assistance and evaluation to where we do understand, like, okay, there are these disparities and we should be moving into a space, like you said, of, okay, how do we actually address them? How do we fix them? And I think a really critical piece of that is doing like a root analysis where we're really trying to get to like what is actually causing this issue. And so what you were speaking to in terms of doing research in service of, of finding solutions to these problems that we already, through decades of research, have found that they exist, right? Like, I don't really think that most people can can argue that based on the, the wealth of research that supports that we have disparities across all of these different sectors. Um, so how do we start to move into a space where we're, we're really looking at identifying the root issue, and you know that you have found that once the problem is completely eliminated. I think oftentimes some of our solutions, because I think people want to see these disparities addressed, sometimes our solutions are addressing causal rather than like root issues. 
And right. the difference is that with a causal implementation of something, it's like the it can be improved, but the disparity isn't eliminated. Right. Um, but when you're really speaking to addressing it at the root, then we no longer see these issues. And so I think the work that we're trying to do in the homeless space is really like, how do we get to the root? And I think in the homeless space, it's that, you know, we are ending homelessness and that housing is seen as a basic human right. And in order to do that, we have to come up with solutions that are addressing the roots of the issue. But we also have to be able to recognize the full humanity of every person because you can come up with solutions that, you know, honor the fact that housing is a basic human right. But if you cannot really see the fact that every individual person is a full human being and deserves that right, then you still in implementation could end up with disparities. So part of the work is getting people to a place too, to where it's like, we all see each other as full people, irrespective of our background, we can honor the full humanity of, of each person, um, which is really important in the work. I, I, our, one of our colleagues, Chris Tappan, um, was talking to me about these issues last week. And, you know, we talked about the importance of getting at the root. When you say that, it makes me think about system level issues, right? Um, rather than saying, well, your, your educational outcomes are behind your peers. What do we do to remediate you? How do we fix that, right? We need to look at the bigger system issues that allowed it to get to this point, right? And she was saying, well, um, it's like if you do that, it's like saying, I need to build a better and better and more efficient way to pull people out of the river instead of, right, going upstream and trying to solve the problem so that nobody falls in the river in the first place. We, we, we have spent a lot of time and resources and energy on building better and better ways to pull people out of the river faster and faster. But the problem is that people keep coming and we need to address those root causes, those systemic issues, right, to take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and so for a, a young child starting kindergarten who's not ready, that probably there's probably a component of what kind of prenatal care did that child's mother get, the housing, the employment of parents, the the child care in the early care and education they have access to, nutrition. There could be um you know, environmental pollutants in the neighborhood that are causing asthma. There's all kinds of things that, that go into that outcome that have to be addressed that are root causes. You know, unfortunately, I think the root causes are many. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if I can follow the river metaphor, you know, uh, if there are many locks to the river, and that's housing, education, health, workforce, criminal justice system, uh, we, we at App work on all of them. So... <laughs> Hopefully we can we can we can all deploy to our respective locks and, and start applying this approach and, and start keeping people out of the river. And I'll say as a relatively new employee of App, that's one of the reasons that I came because App does work across the social determinants of health. And I thought, well, this organization has a good chance of being able to look systemically not only within each of those systems, but across those systems at strategies to address. Um, equity in this country. Mm-hmm. 
that's a real good place, I think, to end. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. Mm-hmm.